Thanks for listening to the Adam Carolla Show on Podcast One. Oh, boy. We saved the uh, best for last, man. Rob O'Neill, the guy who took out Bin Laden. Mm-hmm. Not the guy next to the guy, the guy behind the guy, or the guy who was supposed to be the guy. The guy that took out public enemy number one worldwide. Boy, his tale. Very graphic, very interesting, very moving. But, man, when he told it, you were there. I mean, it was like getting off that helicopter, that compound. So we'll look forward to that in a second. First, I'll tell you about Trade Station, man. Want a little extra edge? Want to find your next great trade? Easy-to-use tools for traders of all skill levels. Simple pricing. Stocks at 5 bucks a trade. Options at $0.50 cents per contract. Plus, 5 bucks per trade. Futures, buck fifty per contract per side. No software fees. Mm-mm. Free real-time market data. Free premium tools. Take a fresh look at TradeStation. By doing what? I'll tell you how. Go to TradeStation.com slash Corolla. Again, no software fees. Free real-time market data. Free premium tools. You trade smart. You trade confident. You go to TradeStation. TradeStation.com. Dot com slash Corolla and get going, man. The stock market's hot. Let's get in. Well, uh, make a little hay while the sun is shining at tradestation.com slash Corolla. All right. Uh, without any further ado, and I don't say this very often, American hero, Rob O'Neill. From Corolla One Studios in Glendale, California, this is the Adam Corolla Show. Adam's guest today, the author of The Operator, Firing the Shots That Killed Osama Bin Laden, Rob O'Neill. With Gina Grad on news and Bald Brian on sound effects. And now, he never was a Navy SEAL, but he did dress up as a sailor once for Halloween. So, hero, Adam Carolla. Yeah, get it on. Got to get it on. The choice to get on mandate. Get it on. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for telling a friend. We love that about you. Good day, Gina Grand. Good day to you. And Bald Brian. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Is that sunny? It is. Oh, boy. Enthusiastic. Cool. Uh, normally, we bring our guests in about the 45-minute to an hour mark, but Robert O'Neill here has such an interesting story. You don't make a man like this wait. No. Yeah, I don't want to upset him. The operator uh, firing the shots that killed Osama bin Laden, the name of the book, and my years as a SEAL team warrior, available now on Amazon. You know what to do. Just bookmark us and click through our site. It's called Win Win. Good to see you, Robert. Thanks for having me, Adam. I appreciate it. Uh, so I got so much to talk to you about. Um, we can uh, go through the uh, mission. The thing I was kind of interested in as well was uh, involved with the uh, rescue of Captain uh, Phillips, too. We saw the movie about with the wow. pirates and everything. Uh, 400, am I right when I say uh, over 400 missions in a, a 17-year uh, period? Yeah, just about 17 years, 400 missions, uh, four different theaters of war technically, but some of those were before uh, 9-11. I, I joined the Navy in 1996. I became a SEAL right around 97, started deploying from 1998 until 2012, 
So uh, it was a long career, about 400 missions, actual combat missions in that time. So, yeah, I'm fortunate enough to be part of the team that was picked for a lot of the high-profile ones towards the end. So that was kind of uh, – it was different from before where no one really knew what we were doing and we were just hunting bad guys and it turned into the high-profile stuff and big rescues and stuff like that. So very interesting career. Yeah, sorry. Dylan wrote here in 1995, so that's why I did my incorrect math. No, no, it's about right. It's, it's You're in 96. So do they work your team – like they work the officiating team for the Super Bowl, where they take the sort of the best guys or the best crews <laughs> that, and they move them to the big that, game. That you was get sort the high of profile for, stuff. For the big mission, that's how they did it. It was um, we were at the right part of a rotation. We just finished a combat deployment. We were just back and training, and because that crew could travel and train without being really noticed, they picked the best guys from that crew. So that was kind of how it is. They picked twenty eight guys. We ended up going with twenty three. Before that, for Captain Phillips, we just happened to be the guys that were in place. There's a certain rotation. You're either at war training or standby. We were on standby, so we got picked to jump in after Richard Phillips. And then I was a part of the team that rescued uh, the lone survivor, Marcus Luttrell. That's just because we were overseas at the time. happened to be in the right place there, too. So a lot of luck involved, a lot of hard work to get in the place to be lucky, but that's kind of the way it went down. Is one of the criteria to have a, a really strong cleft chin? Mm, it seems important. <laughs> Thank you. How many movies have you been portrayed in? The, you or your team? Uh, there the was you were sort of in. four because they did American Sniper and we were in the same place, but we weren't working with that SEAL team. Did you know Chris Kyle? Uh, no, I didn't. I actually was going to uh, – we were going to meet up uh, and he – he, you know, he was killed right before we were mm-hmm. going to meet up. He, he actually sent me something very cool. Um, right after the Bin Laden raid, uh, it was still fresh in my head, and I wasn't sure how to – I don't know how you absorb that. Sure. And I got a book. American, American Sniper just come out, and I got a book sent to me, and I and someone told me it was autographed, and I remember thinking, why would I want an autographed book from another SEAL? And I opened it, and on the first page it said, great shot, Chris Kyle. And I was like, well, there's the coolest thing I own. <laughs> wow. That's pretty neat. That's so I still have that. Well, so here's how you know everything you're going to hear from this point on is going to be true, because we asked Robert if he knew Chris Kyle, and it could have been super easy for him to go, oh, we hung a little yeah, uh, when we are in, yeah. in theater and country or whatever, but he said, <laughs> I don't know him, which now we, everything else that comes from your mouth everything will be truthful. Honesty. Well, you could have easily <laughs> fudged that. You're in the same area doing the same stuff. None of them would have yelled liar at you if you said... <laughs> You had a couple of sandwiches with the guy and did a little power lifting. It was a cool dude. Like, no one could yeah. ever vet that. So the fact that so you said didn't know him, well, now we know everything's okay. going to be true. So American Sniper, obviously, uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Yes. And uh, then uh, Captain Phillips, I'd assume. And then Lone Survivor. Mm-hmm. And Lone Survivor, mm-hmm. okay. You've seen all the films? Yes. Can you rank them in terms of accuracy, how much maybe you enjoyed um, or, or responded? A- accuracy is a tough one. I would say Lone Survivor because my initial thought there was if you want to know what a a gunfight in the mountains of Afghanistan looks like that would be it. And, and what it feels like to have a, something shoot past you or slam next to you and just be like, where did that come from? It was so um, visceral. Th- it was a, a great movie. My only complaint about um, Lone Survivor was the mountains weren't steep enough. Mm. And you can only – they filmed it in, I want to say, New Mexico, which has some pretty say, serious mountains. In, yeah. But uh, in the eastern Himalayas in the Konar province of Afga- – Afghan, western Himalayas, eastern part of Afghanistan is – I didn't want to correct you. <laughs> I was about to dive in. And then God, what's, 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 what's funny too is they'll, uh, I'll get asked about uh, Captain Phillips, which is a good movie. I like it a lot and they made SEALs look good, but it's not accurate. It's like 70% accurate unless I get asked at like a happy hour. <laughs> By some women, I'll say, well, it's 100% accurate. I took all three shots. <laughs> all depends on where we're at. No, I wasn't one of the shooters there, but okay. uh, they did a good job with that. I like Zero Dark Thirty. I can pick apart tactics all day long. And then uh, American Sniper was really good. 
at depicting the PTS that comes with a lot of deployments and how they responded. I wasn't a big fan of the fake baby scene. Do you guys see that part? Yeah. 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 Responded yeah, that, that was, right in the theater and it's like that. Took you out a little bit. <laughs> but good, yeah. good stuff. But all good yeah, movies. Mm, all uh, good movies. Yeah. Have you I'm, – I'm sorry if, if you haven't. I, I didn't already – I don't know. But um, have you consulted for movies? No, I have not. Uh, no, not, not in any of them yet. Oh, but there will be more that. that comes out hopefully. Yeah. I, I hope so. So when you see a – a modern day sort of gritty, tough movie about the theaters you were in. You look at those and go, "That's pretty close." I mean, that's the Parts way they dress. Them. That's the way they talk. Or the way they talk. They had really. They had. They did a really good job in American Sniper, especially with the comedy aspect of SEAL training, when the instructors are yelling at them. Just uh, destroying them verbally, but stuff they're saying is really funny when you look back on it. Yes, I had instructors that were like that. They did a good job with that. And again, uh, um, Lone Survivor was more serious than 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 all of them. And then even with, um, I'm assuming with Zero Dark Thirty, because there was a government agency that found him, and there was actually a group of women that found him, and they they were spot on as far as I could tell, as far as how serious, 100. percent He's in this place, and we know it. We found him. So there, are, I can, I'm sure each part of every kind of movie has certain parts that are really re- realistic, and some that you kind of that's not what happened. But I I feel like, and I have nothing to compare it to, but I just feel like those, you know, the old John Wayne movies of your. I just didn't accurately depict what life in battle was, let's say, like. And these new ones feel, if anything, I guess, are they even sometimes too gritty? Do they feel like a little overdone or is that, no, they, that about it? They're pretty good. I mean, there's never the guy running through a house to jump through a window when an explosion almost catches him type stuff. But um, I think that the John Wayne type movies where everyone was brave and no one's afraid and we'll rush the hill and that's all nonsense. Right. I don't think people are like that. There is there is an emotion factor that comes with it. Um, and, you know, and then there's the not necessarily fighting for whomever is in office at the time. It's fighting for the guy next to you. Yes, we believe in the overall effort. But right now I'm fighting in this house for him. I want to uh, – hey, Gary, look up uh, Audie Murphy. No Audie Murphy? No, the name. I loved him in Raw. Audie Murphy. <laughs> well done. <laughs> uh, see what you did there? That was <laughs> that Eddie was Murphy. Funny. Audie <laughs> Murphy. Sounds like Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Audie Murphy is the most highly decorated soldier in the history of combat, I believe, isn't he? He's up there. And he, he, so, and he had a big Hollywood career. So he. This was, is one of the most. One of the most. And then he was. Every, he received. Hold every, on. Just uh, go ahead and do your Audie Murphy thing. But so. He's a highly decorated soldier, and then he came back and started doing war movies. And I don't know when he died or what the story was. It's it's interesting how these I don't know his name is Audie. Is his name? Yeah, A U D I E, and he died in uh, 1971 at age 45. I'm still doing some research as to how. Damn early, and then we got to find out. Did we remember right? What did he get? What what was he decorated with? And then. Did he do a bunch of war movies as soon as he came home? And then why the hell did he die at 41? Yeah. All right, hold on. How about some on it? Let's get healthy in the new year. He heard me talk about on it before. Amazing supplements like Alpha Brain, Buffalo Meat Warrior Bars, MCT Oil. And by the way, all those bars with all the nougat and drizzled and fudge. and don't, don't monkey with that. Not good for you. Talk to Uncle Vinny about that. The Warrior Bars, those are good. The MCT Oil. Ask Dr. Drew about the MCT Oil. How about uh, we talk to Aubrey Marcus? Yeah, he's the Onnit CEO, and uh, he'll tell us all about his experience with ayahuasca. Listen, man. You know, I had an experience. It was about the 10th time where ayahuasca took me down this path where it was like, you know what? 
not only you're going to die, it's that you never mattered. It's like mm-hmm. you're nothing. You're the gum on nothing's shoe. You're water borrowed from the ocean and the ocean forgot. You're completely <laughs> worthless. And so I had to surrender. Like even in my death, I had some idea like, well, I lived well. I'll leave a legacy. Some people will remember me. I was like, nah, bitch, you're nothing. Anyway, they filmed the whole thing. You can take a look at the behind-the-scenes mini-doc at onit.com slash Adam and t- get 10% off. They have a whole bunch of great supplements and equipment and everything. Just go to onit.com slash Adam. Get 10% off your entire order. O-N-N-I-T dot com slash Adam. All right, Gary, what about Adi? And why did he die at 41? 45. Oh. Uh, I'll get there. He- oh, and 71. Correct. Uh, born in June of 1925, uh, he enlisted in the U.S. Army. Uh, he dropped out of school in the fifth grade to help the family. He was born to a family of sharecroppers. And after the attack on Pearl Harbor, his older sister helped him falsify documentation with his birth date to get into the armed services. Turned down by the Navy and Marines, so he enlisted in the Army. Uh, over the course of his career, he over the course of World War II, he received every military combat award for valor available from the U.S. Army, as well as French and Belgian awards for heroism. Uh, he also received the Medal of Honor uh, for valor, demonstrated at the age of 19 for single-handedly holding off an entire company of German soldiers for an hour at the Colmar Pocket in France in January 45. Using magic, and then, <laughs> to be fair. And then they were us. mesmerized. <laughs> It worked. Whatever it takes. <laughs> Whatever it took. Yeah. You might be right because he then led a successful counterattack while wounded and out of ammunition. Wow. Hey, made it on something. I like the idea that you have to start expanding into other countries to take their medals. Exactly. Like I got everything well, the US has to offer. We gotta move into other Axis what powers. Got, Belgium? <laughs> yeah. He did then come back after the war and enjoyed right, a twenty one year acting career. Played himself in the 1955 autobiographical film to Hellenbeck based on his memoirs. Um, and beyond that, he was largely in westerns. Uh, after suffering from PTSD, or what would today be called PTSD, he uh, suffered in the last few years of his life was plagued by money problems, but refused to appear in alcohol and cigarette ads because he wanted to be a good uh, example. And he died in a plane crash in Virginia shortly before his 46th birthday. He was interred with full military honors at Arlington. It's weird. You escape all of that yeah. death Ugh. for so long, and then you just die in a plane crash. Such a weird, weird life. Yeah. God. All right. Uh, you're not flying anytime soon, are you? Yeah, we're, I'm, I pretty much fly every day. <laughs> I saw your so. bags packed <laughs> out but what's, there. What's, what's unique about it is I, I don't avoid alcohol and cigarettes, so I'm not too worried about crashing. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> your odds are evened out. Shrewd. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Sure. How long did you have to keep quiet about all this where you could, you know, uh, write a book, give interviews, that kind of story? Well, even, was, talk, even talk to when, family. When we, f- when we finished the mission, we flew back from bin Laden's house to bases in Afghanistan then we left later that night we flew back to Virginia by the time we got back to Virginia it had pretty much gotten out that that, that I had done it in the SEAL team so in Virginia Beach and in, in San Diego and then it spread up to Washington D.C. I had friends that I had work in the White House call down and talk about me so it kind of got out and it was it wasn't really natural it wasn't a normal thing because um, you know it was never I, I didn't do the mission you know the, mm-hmm. the 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 analysts found them. The pilots don't get enough credit for flying there and saving everyone's life on the first helicopter that mm-hmm. crash landed. Um, the people that led the mission up the stairs, the guy that jumped on the suicide bombers that he thought, you know, I just got the shot. So it wasn't it wasn't comfortable to be like, hey, look, this guy killed Bin Laden, and it never did get that way. I did eventually get out of the Navy, um, and then through some memoirs, I did public speaking, never about Bin Laden, just about <laughs> success and why we were successful. 
and I was writing my memoir, and I submitted it to the Pentagon, and they said, and I put the Bin Laden stuff in, and they said, yeah, okay, it's good. So that, this is the first book b- about, especially that mission mm. by someone on the ground that's been submitted and approved by the agencies involved in the Pentagon. So that's wow. kind of cool. what I. It, it, so short answer is five years. So let's. Okay. I want to walk all the way through the the process and the the story in the evening and and all that, if if you don't mind. Don't mind. Uh, good. So. Where are you when you hear that they've, I think they used this carrier and spotted him or found where his compound was. When do you first hear the news and how long from the time you hear that to the time you're getting into a chopper? Well, we didn't, they were tracking his courier who was, who was taking messages from that house to parts of Pakistan to call people for about five years. They didn't tell us till about two weeks before, but they knew about it. They'd been briefing certain people. Uh, to include the president and and different different parts of the military, they brought us into a spot now nah, maybe three three and a half weeks and told us about a mission, but they didn't tell us what it was. Mm-hmm. And they we were they 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 were being ambiguous about everything. We assumed we were going to go to Libya after Gaddafi because it was the Arab Spring. You know, it was April of 2011. All the uprisings in Tunisia, Libya, and Egypt, things like that. So we're going to go get Gaddafi. Then just through certain briefings over the next few days, we figured out it was going to be in Pakistan. It had to be bin Laden. And then they took us down to a, a place in North Carolina to train. And they told us that day. Actually, the famous woman came in, the one they called Maya, and she said, um, the reason you're here is you're as close as you've ever been to Osama bin Laden. And so we prepared for about two and a half weeks, but we knew it was bin Laden we were going after for that time. So you're doing this in North Carolina. Yeah. They have his compounds sort of mocked up there? Yeah, they, they built up the exterior out of um, chain link fence and like Connex boxes, the big storage type mm-hmm. crates. And it was the pretty much the exact exterior, which is good because you don't want to know what the interior is because as soon as you get there, it's wrong. Always right. has been. No one knows what the inside looks like. Just well, let us go in. I'm guessing it was tasteful, whatever it was, <laughs> yeah. but we don't know the exact lay of the land. But we were able to train on it with helicopters, um, come up with the perfect plan, and then as many contingencies as we could, even to include talking about, well, what if the helicopter crashes? So we talked about that stuff. And uh, we worked on that day and night, 10 to 14 hours a day, and then we'd stand around a, a table, a, a, a model of it that was exact, just not to scale. And we would talk about everything and then you know, a day with the family, then back out. We went out west. I'm not sure if I said in the book where, but there's a training site out near here. We trained for a few days and then we uh, went back to Virginia another day with our kids and then we decided we're going to launch to Afghanistan to wait for the green light from the president. So um, we waited there and they told us the Friday before for sure we're going. We left on Sunday. You, they knew, so they, they said they'd been kind of tracking him for five years. Yes. Why such a long cool down period between the time they sort of knew where he was to the time they I, actually acted on it? I don't think they knew he was, they were on to something based on trying, they knew the guy that they found in a certain part of Pakistan was making calls for him, but then tracking him back to that house took a number of years. Yeah, they never got visual on him, right? Like he never left the house. No, he never left the house. And th- this guy did, and they couldn't find it because he was always using his phone from a, a moving vehicle. So it's very hard to track, especially in, in certain parts of Pakistan where if you don't look and sound like you're from there, you're not welcome there. They're going to they're gonna mess you up. But they eventually tracked him back. They found the house. They started watching, and they noticed one guy walking around inside of the compound. They called him the pacer. And he was taller than everyone. He was wearing different clothes. And when people were doing the normal tasks like uh, tending the garden or working with the animals, he would walk past them, maybe stop and say something, but he never stopped to help. So right. someone important. 
He's never leaving the house, and he comes out this entrance, goes back up, and, and then they start looking at it closer with people on the ground. Certain walls are certain heights you can't see in, you can't see out. They always burn their trash. There's something's going on, and you know, very smart people figured it out. The best people that the agency had were figuring how, it out. How central to wherever anything was happening was this compound? Like you heard – I guess we heard about sort of hiding in plain sight, but – how remote was it or how central was it? How much was going on around it? It was in a fairly remote part of a resort-type city, as much as a resort you can get in Pakistan. Uh, it was near a golf course. The, the, the Palm Springs of Pakistan. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, their version of West Point was, was a mile away. And, and it was at the end of a road, that, that, a dead end. So it's not like just through traffic, but houses were being built up around it the whole way. There's a neighborhood around it and – you know, by the time we got there, it was pretty built up. It was um, there was even a guy outside as we were leaving who was outside with his phone uh, tweeting. <laughs> why is the uh, we saw him? I, I saw him. He was, he was that famous dude. If you look it up, he was tweeting. Why would the military be running exercises on a Sunday night? What and and so oh, that's crazy. Yeah. What what percentage of the neighborhood, if any, suspected or knew he was in there? I wouldn't guess the neighborhood necessarily did, but the Pakistan intelligence service definitely did. They probably put him there. So They're, they they were in on it. They knew about it. Certain parts of it were. I'm not saying necessarily the Pakistan military was, but the intelligence services definitely knew he was there. And they have a vested interest in keeping al-Qaeda a little bit at bay because they're not their friends necessarily, but they don't want al-Qaeda attacking them. So if they turn over bin Laden, maybe they attack them. And But we, I mean we knew without a doubt that if, if we tell the Pakistanis we're coming in and we're going to do a joint effort, he wouldn't have been there. Mm-hmm. They would have taken him out. Wow. He would have, I mean not taken him out. They would have removed, removed him. Removed yeah. him from there. Right. Yeah. It's too bad. It's funny because you hear about all the leaks coming from the White House all the time, mm-hmm. every day, and you realize these guys didn't leak anything. I don't think anybody knew. No, I mean, but the, the the intelligence, the Pakistani Pakistani intelligence knew, right? Oh, as far as that, I mean, they weren't leaking. You'd think there'd just be a weird rogue, someone to get drunk, you would and, like think. just say well, something even, to somebody even for money. Because what was our right. fifty million dollar uh, reward on his head? Yeah, I mean, like, what do you? I, 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 we can't assign a number to it, but were we talking about dozens of people that knew and just would never said a word for all this these years? I mean, it seems it's like if somebody knew who, if somebody knew who killed uh, Nicole Brown Simpson, and and not and it wasn't OJ, like wouldn't you that right. guy get drunk and talk or say yeah. something at some? I mean, like this is how I know Pinky there's no swear. other there's no other killer because that guy would have said something to some yeah. hooker he was banging when he was drunk. I've like, seen Shawshank Redemption. I know how it right. Happens. You know yeah. how it works. I'm surprised that these yeah more too. a group too. of people is able to sit on this mm-hmm. for forever with again the huge yeah fifty million dollar reward. It just, I mean, it just tells you where the well, – I mean, it worked with uh, the Hussein's sons, Uday and Kuse. Their uncle figured out, you know, 20, 25 million to pop and they're in the same house. I know where they are. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to tell Drop someone. And then my ass is moving to Dearborn. <laughs> Get a mansion. <laughs> so is that where he's living? I think so. I'm wow. assuming so. What a country. As a great Yakov Smirnov once said. So <laughs> you, you, you know you, – you simulate the compound. There's two choppers. You're in chopper one or two. I was in two. And – One's job is to do what, and two's job is to do the what? The first one's job was to uh, hover in between bin Laden's house and the guest house, which is in the front yard, and put everybody out on fast ropes, which when they hover, snipers protect them on both sides, and then uh, the guys fast rope down, and the snipers come down, and then it leaves. We were going to land outside, put other snipers down, and the dog, and the dog handler, and then an interpreter, and put our team on the rooftop of the main house, if that makes sense, so that we can have an assault team going down while another one comes up. 
and you can kind of pinch them in there. Right. <clears throat> that was the perfect plan that lasted for about three seconds. <clears throat> the first one crashed. Nobody, we didn't know it. The pilot knew it, so he just dropped us all off outside. So then we had to start on the, on the way in. But we knew what to do. We knew what was going on. We just didn't know the helicopter crashed. I didn't know until I got inside the house. What caused the helicopter crash? The pilot told me, and I'm not a pilot, but he said there was some sort of areolus effect, meaning an updraft, that mm-hmm. the, the, it couldn't hold a hover because I think it was the weather was warmer than we thought, so the air was thinner and it couldn't quite cut it. And the, the air off of the fence, because we were training on chain link fences and these were mud, and it just uh-huh. said it had a different effect. And the pilot actually said if a lot of inexperienced, less experienced, and he was the best in the world, fortunately – would have tried to power up and make a racetrack, but he knew if he didn't, if he did that, he'd flip it and kill everybody for sure. So he just put it down. He actually didn't crash it; he landed it, but he just pinned it against the wall and the ground so it could stick. And right. That's why it didn't roll. So really, and that, you make that decision in less than a snap of a finger. Right. So, so he's a, a less he's a good experience dude. would have said, "I'm dropping full throttle. Let's go up and, and get he, out of and, here." And but he, it would have rolled. That's what he said to me. That's right. And, and I could be wrong, but that's what the best pilot in the world explained to me. So now you're outside. Yes. And how many guys are inside? How many guys are outside? I want to say we had 13, and they had 12. Is that right? No, 11 and 12. 11 and 12. They had 11. We had 12 and a dog. And how now you got to get from outside to inside. Yeah, so we knew just because the pilot landed us, because he did go to hu- take us to the top, and he saw the other helicopter go down, so he just brought us back. So we just Now, was the dog a comfort dog because one of the therapy folks dog. were scared to fly in the chopper? We were very concerned about microaggressions when we got yes. there. So, we, brought, yeah, so we, didn't, we didn't want them to kill us with that or magic. <laughs> or a macroaggression. Like, yeah. shoot at, at this you. point, yeah. that's a macroaggression. So, he yes. was there for his nose. If, if somebody ran, he could chase him. He could find him with his nose. Oh, so his, his job was initially to get there and do a, a loop around the whole thing to make sure nobody could leave. Mm-hmm. And then once they put us down on the outside, we just knew where there were entrances. So we went to put bombs on you know, the closest one was on the northeast corner. So we went up to that thing, put a huge bomb on it, and it blew up. And um, it opened in like a tin can into a brick wall. Like it was a wall, it was a fake door. And that's when it starts to click. It's like, wait a minute, this is a fake door. There's someone inside. He's in here. Right. So, But now we have to find a new door because that didn't work. Right, so they they mocked up yes. basically mm-hmm. a, a door like yeah. Wiley Coyote would use. Like we were actually joking and, about that, like in the Bin Laden house, going down a hallway and get smaller and smaller, and you're just Bin Laden. It's painted on. <laughs> it's big, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, that had to. I mean, at the time, you could have thought, well, maybe some weird eccentric, you know, maybe. Uh, Maybe the the version of, of Phil Spector was living there, like just some sort of weirdo rich guy who, you know, never, never left his house and was tall or whatever it is. But when you see the fake door with, Play the with brick, guns, gold records everywhere <laughs> with the brick behind it, you know, this is somebody. Yeah, like, they didn't just accidentally find this house of someone who happens to be just a freak and not. We, we, at that point, we knew it was going to be probably, you know, top five Al Qaeda. Right. But. Still, it's been. We Laden. don't know it's been Laden. So now, how do you how do you breach it? How do you? Well, get we in? knew there was another door. It would have been to our right, and it was a carport, and we'd seen what, it open. What time is this? Probably about two a.m. local time. And how much ambient light is there? There was zero percent illumination. That's why we went on that day. There was no um, no moon. no moon. So, and that's for, that's in your. That was favor. part of the reason we launched then. If we didn't get it that night, we skipped Saturday. There was two nights of 0% illumination. We skipped Saturday because of the correspondence dinner in Washington. Because if we launched that and all of a sudden the cabinet gets up and leaves all the presses there, what's going on? They're going to start digging. So we right. launched on Sunday. And um, that was it. If we, if we didn't get that, then it would have been wait 30 days. So it, 
you make your way to the right. You're wearing yeah. the, the night vision and, goggles. And we didn't know the other guys were inside. We thought they had flown off. Uh-huh. And so we announced to them that we were going to blow the carport. And they said, no, we'll just open it. And the door opened and a thumb and thumbs up came out. And that's a point where I'm a big believer that if something happens, you don't need to worry about why. It just happened. We need to do something else. We'll talk about why it happened later. Uh, I don't know why the guys were in there, but they're in there. doesn't matter. They're there. I don't care. So we went in and we're just kind of – I remember looking up at bin Laden's house. My guys are already in there. There's already gunfights going on and just thinking, wow, this is cool. This is bin Laden's house, man. We're probably going to die tonight, but I'm going to take this in. This is historic. So what um, – you say thumbs up. It, do you guys have a signal or a call or something because in the chaos? Well, that would have been – that. It's making calls and yelling makes the chaos more chaotic. Just a, th- a thumb, co- oh my God, a thumb coming <laughs> well, like, you well, like when you when you're watching movies and stuff, and you hear that one jackass just yelling, "Go, go, go!" It's like, uh, calm down, we're going. Right, we're right. all gonna go. Everyone, right. take a wrap up. Stop yelling at me. But uh, yeah, the just thumb came out. It means we're good. And then so we just, I knew that part of my team's job was to go into Bin Laden's house. So I knew it was to the left. Going, go to the left, and then we're at the bottom floor. And I'm watching. And it was, I was very fortunate to. To have not gone to the rooftop because now I have a front row seat to the greatest mission that ever happened. I'm, I'm in the back watching. I'm not doing much. I'm just chilling out watching guys do their job, you know, the way they're breaking in doors, going from mechanical breaching to explosive breaching, moving people around. And then they got to the end of the bottom floor where they're uh, trying to breach a door that's barricaded that we know goes to a set of stairs. And so we know we want to get up. Bin Laden's probably in this house. How do you know it goes to a set of stairs? It's got to. It's a three-story house. And we've already cleared the entire bottom floor. So there's no other door to open. No. And this one has to lead. And it's the most fortified. It's, it's Yes. And that's when, again, it starts to say, okay, why would this be barricaded? And we just, on the bottom floor, uh, one of the guys killed the courier and his wife jumped on top and she was killed. And one of my guys was worried. He's like, well, she just, she became a human shield. And and it's like don't sweat it. She's a martyr. Like this is again another sign. This is a this is something biggest here. They're they're trying to martyr themselves. She jumped on. She top. tried to jump in front of him in the gunfight to block the bullets. Oh, I don't feel like my wife would ever <laughs> ever do that. She'll give my son like the rest of one of my sandwiches. Going, he's hungry. And I go, well, what about me? Forget about Forget diving. Maybe in seals front of- come into your house and. Wow, I have to really rethink my relationship. <laughs> uh, all right. Nightfall History's new scripted drama series, Nightfall, Wednesdays, 10 o'clock on History. Oh, man, this history's really come a long way. They're doing some kick-ass work now. Set in medieval France, tangled in politics and conflict, one courageous Templar knight will lead his order of warrior monks on a life-or-death mission to find the lost Holy Grail, Tom Cullen from Downton Abbey. He leads the cast, taking viewers deep inside the most powerful and mysterious military order of the Middle Ages. So let's review. Nightfall, history, great scripted new drama, Wednesdays, 10 p.m. Remember, it's like my grandpa used to tell me, he who controls the grail holds the power. Nightfall, Wednesdays, 10 p.m. only. On history. All right. So, Robert, now we're in the compound and we're in the three-story home that's within the walls of the compound. A breach every door and there's one left. It's heavily fortified. How many folks would you say you came up against on the first floor and on the premises? 
people that were trying to fight us were two guys. So two guys had their guns up. One got a full, I think, 30 rounds out of his magazine, shot through the door. He missed, and he was uh, eliminated by some of the guys. This is in the guest house. The guy on the bottom, I don't know if he got a shot off, but he definitely raised a weapon, and one of my guys from outside shot through the window and killed him, and that's the one that had the wife jump, try to jump in front of him during that fight. Um, other than that, there was a probably between 15 and 20 um, women and children, and that's just a part of separating them, you know, putting them in one spot and like leaving a person on them because they're not a threat really. They can be, but they're generally not. And then we're just looking down the hallway to a, a door that's barricaded and there's already two guys down there working on that problem. So they're going through their, their systems. Um, just, you know, they eventually got some explosives on it and then the door opened and then, we're, then we found the stairwells right inside that, uh, the door that opened. So at this point, you know, Bin Laden is probably here. Yes. And obviously he's now awake. And are you thinking, what is he thinking? Or are you thinking, does he have some sort of jet pod or something to escape? Or is he taped uh, TNT to himself? That's, like- that was the most likely. We, we Even in the rooms that I would go and I would look around the ceiling to see if there was any explosives that would, were hanging from the ceiling because that's the best way to bring a house down if you're going to demolish it. And that's a tactic a lot of guys would use in this spot was a uh, – um, uh, an ex- improvised explosive device in a house and, and you know, an HBID. Um, and there weren't any. So we assumed the suicide bombers are going to be on the stairwell and then in the bedroom and he's going to have a vest on too. Well, that's the part that really ups the ante because if you're going after, you know, the, the, dr- the drug kingpin in Central America, that guy just wants to live so he can, uh, long enough to see his kids and bang another hooker at some point and doesn't really, you know, if he goes to prison, it'll be a prison that he built. And he'll be, you know, bringing in professional soccer players to hang out with and do coke and stuff like that guy wants to live. So when you're raiding that guy's compound, that's got to be a totally different thing than raiding a compound of a guy who you assume is going to go out a martyr. We, yeah, the, being a martyr, they definitely that is one thing they want to do. But there's also a very interesting part of it that someone at like Bin Laden's level or Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's level, as they believe, and I'm not making this up, that it's almost they. Uh, the more people, they only get one life to give to Allah. But if they can give more lives, like if they can convince people to kill themselves, they get like a little piece of it. So maybe he was thinking if if I get captured, um, I can go, be on trial in New York for ten years and just you know bring the jihad that way and encourage people to do it. I was assuming he's going to blow himself up, but I wanted to get up there to see it. I wanted to make sure we got him, and I know it's him. And we had accepted uh, death on this mission anyway. I just want to make sure that it's him. So we're going up the stairs, and we also knew that we'd run into his son on the stairwell, which is the the analyst from the CIA told us that we would run into Khalid bin Laden. She said, I don't know where the stairs are, but when you find him, somewhere between the first and third floor, Khalid will be on the stairs, and he will be armed, and he's his last line of defense. And if you get rid of him, the big guy's next. So we kind of went up the stairs. How do you think she got that intel? I have no idea. She was one of the best in the world, but she knew he'd be there. And she turned out to be 100% right on every single person in the house. Is this the Jessica Chastain character, yes. essentially, from yes. the movie? Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's our point of reference. No, I, that's exactly who they made the movie okay. about. Well, yeah. Minus the uh, 80 pounds. But <laughs> yeah. But other than that, the triple chin, but she knew. She knew. Yeah. The graying around the roots. But, but yeah, no, I mean, the, 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 the skin condition. The, thought, the, mix the thoughts of the house coming down on us blowing up, it was that was what kind of made it really cool. Was not, Nobody was afraid in the house. I was watching my guys. Just I remember being proud of them and how cool they were. And like, it doesn't, no one's hesitating. Everyone's doing their job exactly. And the way I describe it is slow is smooth, smooth is fast. That's what the guys are doing. And I watched them do it. And we got to that stairwell. I was like seven guys back in the line going up. And 
we saw Khalid and he he sort of jumped behind uh, some cover like a banister and he was armed and it was quiet and dark and and normally you know I would have taken some guys back because if he throws a grenade you don't want to fight up because if they throw stuff down it's right. bad but I remember being there thinking I I have to watch this I I need to see how the, there's two grown men separated by ten inches that want to murder each other I got to see what happens and the point man just as cool as ever he whispered Khalid come here Khalid come here in two different languages that he knew Khalid knew and Khalid came around the corner and just said what. Wow. That was it. And he shot him? He got him in the face. He, he was, the guy was still armed, so he's a threat. But he right. just, he just, a little trickery. I didn't know how he was, I wouldn't have thought of that, but I was like, man, this guy's either a great seal or a great criminal or both, because I, that was some <laughs> tactics right there. That's like Jedi stuff. Oh Do you think Khalid, well, first off, I guess it's now two something in the morning, yeah. Sunday night. This guy's probably watch football. Down Sports a few, mm-hmm. had a few pizza. Sure. Yeah. They're probably had a few brewskis sure. and they're passed out. <laughs> you, know? you know, and I'm like Sunday night, especially during football season. Yeah, at two a.m., I am. You don't know where I don't know where I am. There so, is no deeper sleep. Was he? Do you think he thought? Well, now I'm going to die, or do you think Khalid thought? No. I know somebody. This has got to be familiar. I think what happened the inside man or I something. I have to assume what happened is is our tactics were so good, we were so quiet. No one's yelling in English. No one's saying a word. That they don't know who it is. I mean, it could uh-huh. be any, it could be anybody. Right. Maybe it's the Pakistanis coming to move us. Right. Right. So who knows? I mean, there was gunfire, but I mean, there's gunfire a lot in a lot of those places. Right. And so he confused him, and that was it. And then at that point, you know, so we now wanna... Khalid's gone. Yep. And you, you, we've confirmed that it's Khalid. Now it's like Khalid. Visually, yes. yeah. We so knew you're was... looking at pictures. No, we just as we stepped over and we're looking at him. Yeah, time. I know. But before that, you looked at, yeah. mm-hmm. at pictures, mm-hmm. and so you go, that's that's him. That's him. Now now Bin Laden's up here. Now, since everything that all the intel you got from the Zero Dark Thirty gal has been right up until this point, yep. you're assuming whatever happens after this point is going to be correct as well. Yeah, we, this. That, I mean, I I was convinced he was there anyway before we went, just because of her. I was convinced he's on the third floor of this house. There was no doubt in my mind. And so, it's easy to say now because he was, but she was very convincing. She was very good at what she did. And so you're also worried about. Blowing up the building, him being a martyr, suicide vest, but you figure there's not a lot between you and him at this point. Right. And that's so we, after we got Khalid, and again, I was like seven, eight guys back. We got that was in between the first and second floor. We got to the second floor, and that's when everyone went to the left and right because you need to clear the unknown spaces. They went to clear the rooms on the left and right of the second floor, and that's when I became the number two man behind the point man. Right. So now we're looking up the last set of stairs, and there's a, there's a curtain at the top of it, and it was like acting as a door. Is there any light on inside? No, nothing. Zero light. Nothing. But you're wearing the – We have night vision, so right. we can see. And uh, now, because we know that it's Bin Laden, and we know he thinks something bad is happening, we're assuming they're putting on suicide vests behind the curtain we can see. And that's when the point man started – he didn't know it was me, but started talking to the guy behind him because I had contr- – I had – positive control of his shoulder just to let him know he's got guys and when i squeeze it means we have enough that's again communication without talking right so he just started talking though he's like hey we got to get up there now because he thinks we can beat him to the vest like if we can get up there and kill the suicide bombers before they clack we might live right and so he kept saying he was so convincing that and i i just didn't have enough guys it was just him and me at this point but then i i remember i don't know what he was thinking because he's just a bad dude but for me it wasn't bravery it was like we yeah, we got to get this over with i'm really tired of thinking about blowing up so i'm just gonna go find out so i squeezed him and he went up the stairs through a curtain and there were people that turned out to be women but he didn't know right away he just assumed right. they were suicide bombers so right. he grabbed them and tackled them 
down the hallway like to absorb it, like when they blew up, which is amazing. He jumped on a grenade that didn't go off. And because he went that way, I turned to the right. And then three feet in front of him, he's been lying standing there. He's got his hands on his wife's shoulder and he's sort of pushing her towards me. And so I saw him, positive ID. And the way that my thought process went was he's taller than I thought. He's skinnier. He looks older. His beard is short. It's gray. That's his nose. That's him. He's not surrendering. He's a suicide bomber. I got to kill him. So I shot him twice as he was standing up and one more on the ground. And then – so he's, he's done and then uh, his wife was right there. I pushed her over to the, the bed. There's, there, I, he died at the foot of his bed. Um, I pushed her over to the bed. His three-year-old son was standing there and I remember as a father like just thinking – you know, this poor kid's got nothing to do with this. It's a shame he has to see this and picked him up, put him down. And that's when other SEALs are coming in the room and they're clearing. And then I was sort of, sort of standing there and a guy came up to me and he goes, hey, man, are you good? And I said, yeah. Uh, what are we supposed to do now? And he, he laughed mm-hmm. and he goes, well, now we find the computers, bro. We've done this hundreds of times. And I said, oh, you're right. Oh, yeah. I'm back. <laughs> and he said, yeah, you just killed bin Laden, man. Your life just changed. It's like, wow. Was, um, wow. Uh, all... God, I felt like I was there. Is is so? But you God. like you worked on a you did some podcast today, and I think you worked on the car a little bit. So you guys are basically even kind of the same thing. Yeah. Same day. Yeah. Here. It was dark in the garage. <laughs> I paid a guy to work on my car, but yeah. Can you? Can, is it possible? Can you satisfy my curiosity? Because one of the best, and again, the point of reference for all of us, you know, mortals, is the you know, the movie you know, Zero Dark Thirty. Mm-hmm. There was that great moment that cut the tension. Just it picked pricked the the. The balloon just enough when you, you, I see your character and the other uh, Navy SEAL are going up the stairs, and uh, the one guy, you know, it's a white knuckle at this point because you know, you know, but Lon's next, and all of a sudden, someone, I assume either you or someone says, Osama. Yeah, but see, Did we no, see, we said Khalid. I know, but I, we, I didn't know if it got kind no, of no, transposed. No, a the people bit. that the people that um, help with the movie, I think they were SEALs, and they kind of let their imagination roll. It's, it's definitely. Very dramatic on the screen. I will say. Yeah, that. yeah. Oh no, it was. It was. But no, that was. It was never. I didn't whisper it, and I didn't hear, hear okay. it be whispered. And, I don't, and nobody from the mission helped with the movie. Good movie again. Um, but the way it went down was so fast. Sure. Like, I didn't even get to say anything. What was, was? I I'm curious. That makes sense, yeah. yeah. So it's like when you have these impressions of of somebody, but it's like when you see a celebrity in real life, mm-hmm. and you go, that guy's taller or older or better looking or younger or whatever. Whatever it is, you have these like, yeah. you had that with a... Uh, skinny, oh yeah. Oh, no, no. yeah. Sorry, yeah, I'm Wrong sorry. <laughs> yeah, you had that, but taller, skinnier, yeah, older, I, like the, all, all in a millisecond the, in the dark, yeah. pretty much. You, the one, you that's, took the that. one that stood out was the skinny and older. Because you see him on TV with the darker beard and it's full beard and he looks kind of like a young, just tall, skinny old yeah well so now that's about him but like when you enter these things all your senses are going and they're yeah. going they're all at 10 and so there's smells and mm-hmm. and and other visual things that you pick up and i'm curious I'll, I'll tease it a little but what, what did you pick up just being there like this guy sleeps a lot this guy's a slob this guy loves porno this guy loves curry you know what i mean like when you walk into somebody's it was, it's like you know you ever you ever <laughs> you ever borrow someone's car the second you get in their car you're like oh man, what radio station yeah, like, oh, this guy, oh he <laughs> smokes this guy yeah. smokes I mean, oh the air fresher yeah. oh he's a gatorade guy oh yeah. who drinks this brand of gatorade why would he drink that like you immediately just start all like they tell us like oh you can't judge and you can't profile jump into someone else's truck and borrow it i did it today oh, yeah, yeah. i went on a lumber run today and i jumped in a guy's truck and all i did was profile <laughs> like why is he wearing his seat so far back a seat she's not that tall why is it tilted yeah. back that's not it's a lot about a guy from his compound and or the way he keeps his car. 
just the radio station it's on and everything mm-hmm. else. So I, I'm just teasing that because I want to know. You must have had a flood of that when you entered well, his, initially, his area. Initially, it was I was surprised at how how much it looked like a house in Iraq. It was an it, it looked the same. They slept the same. People on the floor, families together on beds on the floor. But after I was done, what impressed me was how organized he was as far as running Al Qaeda, because he had three business centers downstairs, computers. Um, uh, towers, thumb drives, hard drives, all kinds of stuff going on, and then the just copious amounts of opium that were in there. And, oh, really? Yeah, in these, they're in these huge um, sea bags, uh, like, <laughs> like the duffel bags. Yeah, and y- we open them, and Good at first I for, thought they uh, were. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, go ahead. I was yep, gonna. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> yeah, cheese V. It's a joke, but good name for cheese V. I, th- I thought they were vacuum sealed ribeye steaks when I first looked at them. I mean, I, I, my initial thought was, wow, they're in it for the long haul. They got steaks here they can cook. Then I started looking, and it, it's raw opium. And then you start to think, okay, they're, they're not smoking this or whatever. They're they're funding Al Qaeda with this. So they have the they have this computer set up, the, all the propaganda. You can see where he'd watch stuff, and they're sending out mess. Even the porn that we found, there was embedded missions on the porn. Wow. So it's not, they're not in there for the. You can write it off that way. So, yeah, well, yeah, it's obvious. Yeah, the uh, the, 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 the tax so, implications. The, is he the ISIRS? He's he's working. He's in. He's not hiding. He's working. He's running it. He's, he's running, running Al Qaeda. Yeah. From and they're from a that. lot. They're a lot more organized than people realize, and they're not done either. All right, so Robert. Now I love this story. My God, I'm so into this. So you're now Bin Laden's dead, and you must have this sort of surreal dreamlike feeling and then training kicks in and it's back to reality and now it's time to start getting computers and get yeah. getting well now it sinks in that we wanted 34 minutes on the ground what how much time we've been on here let's yeah. get as much as it's we like can robbing a leave. bank like one of the cops well coming. seriously but now it's because before it was all right you want to take it in absorb it it's historic we're going to die now it's like hey we can live let's get our stuff and get out of here so 34 minutes is what you had Total. Uh, that's what we want. Well, initially, because of the first two helicopters, that much fuel could get us in and out, we thought. But now, because of some of the stuff that we did, we had other helicopters with extra fuel in certain spots on different mountains. But we want to get off the ground because we're not worried about the Pakistan military, but we don't want to kill a bunch of Pakistan police because that turned international incident. You know, we can we can do it, but we don't want to. What time are you at by now? Uh, I would say probably right around 15 or 16 minutes. And so we, but there was so much stuff there that we wanted to get as much as we could. And we ended up getting a treasure trove. We got so much, so much out of there. And we ended up killing, not us, but uh, the U.S. military killed a lot more high value guys because of what we found in that house. But, you know, we needed, we're trying to get the positive identification from the, the people on target, trying to get a little DNA to confirm because we want to tell our superiors, hey, it's him. Um, just in case something happens, we get surrounded. We can tell the eventually, maybe through mm-hmm. negotiations. Look, we told you if we found him, we're coming to get him. So chill out, everybody. You know, we don't know, but we're trying to make sure we're covering all the bases, and we need another helicopter to come in because we need to blow up the other one. Even though the pilot mm-hmm. said he thinks he can fly it out, we're not taking a chance. Sure. Like you had one shot at this, you crashed. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so you, this is clear. <laughs> you have to destroy the copter. That's yes, like- in the in the front yard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like when a horse breaks its leg or something. Like, put it down. it's alive, but you got to put it down. You have to put it down. Why? Uh, we wanted to try to get rid of it so they couldn't find any of the technology. If we couldn't fly it out, we can't leave the entire helicopter there. Right. And we did a pretty good job, except the part of the tail fell over the wall. That's the part that the Pakistanis got and inevitably sold to our dear friends, the Chinese. Oh, really? Uh-huh. So that's Slightly why I have used. to do it. <laughs> Previously owned. So you have to throw the explosive satchel in there and just blow yeah, it? Yeah, we had our two of our bomb guys go out there, and they just, in, in the interior, they put certain bombs in certain places. 
um, thermobaric type stuff just to blow it, try to burn it, try to incinerate it. it. Mm-hmm. And so I never even really thought about that. It's one of those parts of movies that they never seem to, to cover. The cleanup. Ooh. They scuttle ships all the time, but they, they don't. Did it. That, they didn't block out down when they were they they brought the, out yeah, of the helicopter. Point. They tossed a couple of grenades in there. Oh, it was down helicopter, and they. Uh, blew I up. never no, thought about it from a technology standpoint mm-hmm. or a sharing of technology. But so we know the one is damaged, and maybe it'll fly out, maybe it won't. But we're not going to make that gonna decision. We're place. just going to blow mm-hmm. in place. Mm-hmm. We have other helicopters that can come get us. Mm-hmm. Um, we're who is identified? I mean, you visually identified uh, Osama bin Laden, but who? How's the DNA work? We uh, had a guy on the mission that even – because we had already sort of drawn down a special operators from Iraq. And for some reason, this guy decided he wanted to keep learning Arabic. And uh, everyone made fun of him for doing it. But because he taught himself Arabic, when we flew over, we picked him up and grabbed him. So he got mm-hmm. on the bin Laden mission, having not even been on our team, which is pretty cool. So he ended up talking to, the, to some of the daughters and the wife and was asking about him. And they finally admitted to him. They said, yeah, that's him. That's Sheikh Osama is what they said. So that was confirmed there. And then with, with the pictures that we sent that we do have that the conspiracy theorists will eventually see whenever some politician decides it's important enough to get reelected to show people the pictures. Right. But we did have him, and that's when we gave the uh, Geronimo call to uh, our bosses to let the president know that we got him. Is- and now we're going to bring him out. So, do you have a body bag yeah, with we, you? Yeah, we put him in the body bag, and four of us carried him out. Okay. And so, you and three other guys? Myself and three other guys, yeah. We carried him down. We put him out in front of the... It was interesting, too, because we put him... The guy, the sniper outside, is the guy we put him next to, and he was the sniper that initiated the fire to on the pirates to rescue Richard Phillips. So, it's like, here's a guy here, and he's all... Oh, by the way, he's on this one, too. It's like, small world. Yeah. But we brought him out and said, hey, here's your guy. He's like, you're kidding me. You're like, no. He's like, let's get out of here. So, that was kind of how that went down, and then we... Put, we split up. We put uh, the body on one helicopter, and then we took the DNA and the rest of the guys in the other helicopter, and we flew out. Right, in case something got hit mm-hmm. or one got yeah, hit. Yeah, the redundancy. Because yeah. now, now my team's not in a, in a – doesn't have the stealth technology. It's a, it's a, it's a school bus mm-hmm. flying out. So we have 90 minutes to fly out, and, and they, they know we're there. So they, and a surface-to-air missile, especially from someone like Pakistan, is designed for a jet, and it goes after a helicopter. You're done. Right. So now we have 90 minutes to think about that as we try to get to Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. How many people were left in the house and what happened to them? All of them. Maybe uh, – I don't know the number. It's, uh, it's available somewhere, 20-something. And uh, were, were we they just no concern at we that just, point? We just left them and we knew, the, we knew Pakistan would be there soon enough, which they were, and they kind of rounded them up and then interrogated them and tried to find out what we knew. And Didn't we tell you not to tell the Americans about this? So are, are you leaving with hard drives, computers? Everything, everything we could find. Everything like, – because we would we – would, yeah, fine. Everything. Hard drives, electronics, everything we had in bags, and now we have it all, and we're flying out with it. Stuff we could fit in our pockets. I had a hell of a time carrying that sea bag full of opium out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and are you – at the time, you don't know what's on the hard drives no. or anything. No, we're just trying to get it. We know someone smarter than us will get to it. But does someone smarter than you share what's on that at uh, some point? Yeah, a lot of it's available now. They've released a lot of it. But with you, like, do you, you have to wait for the rest of the public? With, oh, yeah, yeah. We had to wait for them to go through Because as soon as we got back, we turned it over to the, the, the law enforcement intelligence types. But do you have to wait till we all find out about it for you to find out? No, about, or do you no. get a little uh, bit of a We head? probably would if, it, if it's something that would had to do with our team in mm-hmm. a specific place where we could be sent and they would tell us. But a lot of it, they'd, you know, the whole no, need to know thing sure. is just because, I mean, it's not that it's too secret. It's Levels like you of- really don't need to because it's not going to affect you. All right, uh, a million uh, more questions to go. We need to take a quick break. The book, The Operator, Firing the Shots That Killed Osama Bin Laden, and my years as a SEAL team leader, available right now 
on Amazon. Robert O'Neill's here. Take a quick break. Be right back after this. Robert O'Neill here. I love all these stories. Uh, I've had a couple of people on hold for a million years, so I just want to blast through them, and then we'll get right back to... My question is going to be uh, Al-Qaeda and where they are now, and what's ISIS, and what the hell is the difference between ISIS and Al-Qaeda, and how... What's, what's going on in the world right now? But first, I'll talk to John32 from uh, San Pedro, California. John? Hey, get it on, Ace Man. Get it on, man. Uh, Mr. Bald, Miss Gina, Mr. O'Neill, thank you for your service, sir. You're welcome. Thank My you. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> You're no sir, Bald Brian. That's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what's going on, hey, John? Uh, you know, just with all the, the Congress stuff, man, you hit it out of the ballpark, the documentaries, the racing, the race cars, your family. Uh, mm. You know, we all strive mm-hmm. to do your best. I just wanted to know when was the last time that you thought you didn't do your best? Um, I do think about this because I try to put myself, I don't know if you guys ever do this, but, you know, I deal with like 29 year old dudes or 25 year old dudes. And I, I end up saying, I'm like, what the hell were you thinking, man? Like what? Come on. How's this going to work? Or what do you think was going to happen? Or how do you think this was going to work out? And then I realized I could kind of remember really specifically when I was installing closets and I was like 27 and I was putting on, putting up some like aluminum track for the sliding doors in front of the closet and I cut it a little long and I started to kind of try to push it up and I sort of like take a block and whack on it and started to get bent up and I kind of like straightened it and I whacked it up again. But it was like a horrible job and I got back to the shop and my boss was like, the owner's on the phone. The track looks like shit. What did you do? And I remember kind of thinking, yeah, how did I think this was going to mm-hmm. go down? Like, I I knew this was going to look bad. I knew they were going to call. I knew it looks like hell. Like, you can't avoid it. And I remember thinking, that's how I was wired when I was 27. But I don't know why I left the person's house not thinking they would come home and right. go, this looks hell? like crap. What, mm-hmm. what are we doing? I paid good money for this. You have to come back and fix it. And my boss was kind of looking at me going, it looks like crap. Like, why why'd you just leave? And I remember just kind of thinking... Going, I don't know. I don't know. That mm-hmm. I'm twenty seven. That's where I'm that's as far as I can get. Wow. So every once in a while, so that's the last time I screwed up. But no. <laughs> no, I, I do sometimes when I'm looking at people, especially younger people, and I'm going, What what were you thinking? Like, how do you think this is gonna go? Like, why do you think this was good? Didn't you think I was gonna come home and see this and go, What's going on? Like this looks like crap, you need to fix it, and they just go, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think to myself that's what I was thinking when yeah. I was 27, when I was leaving this guy's house with this bent up aluminum track that they paid good money for. So I, I get that. Um, something like Congress, I could have screwed up because I didn't prepare. So I, I didn't do my best, but it, it ended up turning out okay. You did your good enough. I did my good enough. Uh, no, it was, it was not preparing, but it turned out good yeah. anyway. So it, that the little, Bullet dodge. There was a, wasn't there a race not so long ago where you didn't you didn't I said rehearse you didn't run like the trial trial run and like you sheared a something or something came off or something? Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to think. I, I got a, I had knee surgery and I said I'm doing a race the next day and I ended up hitting a concrete barrier. Uh, that that's good. I feel like Robert get a lot of mileage out of Adam has a catchphrase. Don't do your best. Do my best. Do my best. Yeah, I the, feel like Robert get a lot well, of mileage. One, one out of the things of that. I was thinking about when you were saying that was there's two ways to do things. You can do it the right way, or you can do it again. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's good. Oh, so like, oh, and like, then if you wanted to do something well, do it a thousand times, you'll be good at it. I like wow. that too. I like this. Yeah. And what yeah, was the, the one earlier? I'm sorry. The uh, fastest, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Love that. It's good. Hey, yeah. Hicks, Hicks Mace Waste. Tell the mm. men folk that. All right. Uh, one more. Play leads to sick bay. Oh, another good one. <laughs> time to lean, time to clean. That was at the McDonald's <laughs> in Studio City. Someone said they saw the Ray Kroc story. The founder. The founder said it was good. Said time to lean, time to clean was like Absolutely. behind him in some oh, part. I didn't right. see it yet. Oh, really good movie. It's it is. Very I've seen it twice. It's awesome. It's, it's I, I want to see it and. It's a great movie. I happened to watch it last night. It's, it's wa- definitely in there. Underrated because it didn't get any like nope. any award. No, no fanfare. It's why time to lean, t- time to clean. It confuses people, but it was in my McDonald's mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. I was sixteen in uh, Studio City. Uh, Sierra twenty eight Nashville. Oh, Hi, Adam. Hi, Hi, how, how are you? I would like to thank Mr. O'Neill for his service. Thank you for um, saying that. Very You're welcome. Um, okay, so I've lived in six different states. I lived in Los Angeles, Seattle, um, most recently. I lived in Virginia for three years, like a small, conservative, God-fearing city. And I noticed that there's way more catcalling, so much more catcalling. Like on the East Coast, like you go to Boston, like you walk down the street, way more catcalling. And like... On the East Coast, on East Coast than West Coast. Yeah. Okay, I have an answer. That's a good observation. This is like construction sites. No, no, like I'm talking like not even construction sites. I'm talking like guys hanging out cars, yelling. Dudes on the street. Like, dudes on of. the street. Okay, but and or yeah, and construction sites and dudes on the street. Um, possibly construction sites, but <laughs> I know you want definitely to have heard of a counter. This anyone who's ever held a hammer. Just well, I just hear every move I see where there's uh, a cat call. No. It's on a construction site where they go walking past no, and the guys I'm are all. Like, Doing that. I'm talking, I'm walking down the street with my dog, young men leaning out, like leaning out the car windows, yelling. Okay. Like, not, like every single day. On a construction site? And I would get, <laughs> on, on a mobile construction <laughs> site? Yes, and. Was the yes, dog wearing and. a tool belt? Siri, <laughs> <laughs> yes, and. All right. Have you dropped yes, a considerable amount of weight? I have, a, no, I have two theories no, here. I've gained weight. All right. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. She's gone up in the inner city. Can, uh, L.A. I, <laughs> yeah, okay. Here's my my LA my LA feeling. It's also I'll uh, I'll I'll weave it into uh, Robert over here. I always have this theory that Al Qaeda and ISIS are never going to hit LA, and the reason they're never going to hit LA is because you're not killing the blue eyed devil over here. You're killing yeah. a bunch of brown people. You're not from, killing Robert O'Neill. You're, you're killing like poor brown people. Like you would kill, if you set off something in LA, you'd kill a whole bunch of non-whites. And then your, your biggest allies who are over in Malibu, the celebrities that are cheering for you, those guys would have, actually get pissed off because you killed all their housekeepers and gardeners. So LA, not a good tactic. Tactically, not a good target. Is this for your Ernest Bigot? Yeah. <laughs> for Ernest J. Bigot. Ernest J. Bigot. From last week. You're working out the material? Well, you want to kill the blue-eyed devil, I not know, the poor I brown know. guy who's, who's come here just to get a job at a bakery, you know, working under the table. So, L.A., I think, doesn't have a lot of white dudes walking the street. I feel like they're just at home or in a double-gated community. It's just the, the whole vibe. Like, you go to New York. You will oh. see, 
you'll see the extras from Saturday Night Live going up and down the That's street. That's true. You go to L.A. and walk up and down the street. Do you see anybody no. who looks like Denny Terrio coming at <laughs> no, you? No. Or John Travolta circa no. 1979? Like you just nope. don't see those guys. Those are the guys who do the catcalling. Mm-hmm. The Mexican guys and the Filipino guys and all the other uh, Asian guys and all that, they're not the big catcalling mm. crew. I, don't think, I think it's a cultural problem. So, I think in Boston, you got a bunch of white guys walking yeah, around. Higher concentration. Yeah, you go to L.A. and just walk through downtown or whatever. You do not nope. see a bunch of red-haired guys walking at you look like the Wahlberg brothers. Although, Sierra, <laughs> did you say you lived in New York for a period of time? No, I did not. I but I visited like uh, a lot of East okay. Coast. Did you ever notice? Because I, I, I lived there, and this is something that doesn't happen anywhere else. I don't know if it's if it was a Puerto Rican or Dominican uh, gentleman, but they would hiss at you. Mm. That's the thing. There's a lot of hissing. There's like a lot of frightened cats. <laughs> but that's instead of like, woo, it's hissing. Oh, you know, uh, this reminds me of something oh, like, that I wish I wasn't yeah, reminded of. More salacious. Mm. You know how we do this thing where we can't stop bringing up meaningless event or topic du jour and then we drill down on it we go it's all over the news it makes a cycle for oh, three days and then it's gone I like to bring up cecil the line and the who gives a shit department but we have to bring it up remember three years ago some chick made a cat call video about her walking oh, through yeah. the streets and half of the cat yeah. calls were guys going yeah Good afternoon, or how are you doing, or good day, or something. She was counting all the greetings as the cat calls do, and that made the whole cycle, and now it's been three years. Are we thinking about it? Has it come back to I, haunt us? Is this part of our daily I, ritual, or is it just another thing that idiots jumped on, decided it was a news story when it wasn't a news story, and now it's gone again? But the, but the theme's always the same. Aren't we horrible? It was another one of those, oh, we're so horrible. Look at her. She walked down the street, and guys said, guys how are you attention. doing? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that chick was crazy. Too. Of course she was. Really no, she's not crazy. The but news is crazy so for much. treating it as news. news. It's not news. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I have so much. And like, I've lived in Seattle, like, which is pretty dang white, you know. And like, you walk down a street in Seattle, and it, like, they don't bother you. So I'm walking down this really. Con- I have a theory. You want to hear it? Yeah. Like, I think that men in the West. Like their masculinity has been suppressed more, mm, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and I think living in a very conservative kind of you know traditional kind of town, young guys they're given a little bit more. They're allowed to be kind of guys, you know. That's yeah. my theory. Yeah, I, I I'm sure. <laughs> construction site. Well, no, I mean you could probably walk up and down the streets of Santa Monica. All day, every day, in a thong back. I wouldn't have one cat no. call by because of the because of the constituency. You, you, you're likely to get a sassy gay guy going like, "You go, girlfriend," or you know, whatever, whatever the, you know, the, the gay call is. Yeah, man. Huh? All right, Sierra. Glad we we cracked that nut. Thank you. All right. What was that stupid video? Remember, we all yeah. had to discuss it. And so she obviously knew the guy who was walking in front of her because he had some sort of a nanny cam in his backpack, which is why it seemed like it was a right. But this thing. this is a big news story right, because right. guys were saying "How are you doing?" or "Hello, lady," or whatever. There's half good of them morrow. were just good. some were just greetings. <laughs> lady <under> capes. <laughs> no, Rob, right. were there any uh, female Navy SEALs? No, have there, um, have there ever been any? No, they're in the process right now of trying to select. <clears throat> excuse me, trying to select uh, women who can potentially go through. 
Um, I there was two. I, there, there are. Uh, they're, in, they're in the early, early stages. I'm not sure how that's going for them. I did, I did work with females in combat before in a different role, and they did, they did some of the missions with us, and I was very impressed with them. Um, they, they weren't necessarily the people kicking in the doors, but they did, they did the long, you know, five mile hikes through those swampy, snowy, crappy Afghanistan mountains with us, and I was impressed with them in gunfights with them. Who knows? I'm a big believer uh, that if you don't lower the standards and they pass them, it, I mean, I don't mean they, I mean anybody. Um, yeah. Have at it. You know? I know. Anyone who can do it, do it. Yeah, I'm just saying, I mean, a very, very few percentage of men make it through, so an even smaller percentage of women will, but if someone does, God, I, I don't, I, you know, I think there's a, misnomer which is guys don't want women to be firemen or guys don't want women to be in seals teams every guy i know would just go as long as the standards are the same as long as you can climb a ladder with a 60 pound pack so my kid weighs 60 pounds and you can get him down the second floor as long as you knew that nobody cares nobody cares i think you hear about the standards being changed and then that's the problem then Folks object, and then you go, "Oh, you don't like women," and it's like, "No, no we don't like low, lower standard I mean, for super right, important." Right job. when I was getting out, right around 2011 and 12, the big thing was the re- repealing of "Don't Ask, Don't Tell." The only people making a huge deal about it were the pundits on television. The guys over there in Afghanistan with me are like, "I don't care. It doesn't matter if they if they did the job and they're fighting fine." Well, what was all the? And I wonder how much this actually affected you guys, or if this was more just. BS that, uh, that everyone was talking about back here. But you can't have women on the front lines. You can't work uh, work with women because the men will be so over-sexualized no. and that will be such an issue. I don't see that. They, they try to put that in there, some psychological crap, I right. think. I don't think that's the case. Like I said, I've been in fights with women there and it's not um, – it's more of a who's in a better tactical position. If someone's in trouble, I'm going to help that someone. That's all it is. And it's, I don't think it would be other than me protect woman crap. I don't buy it. Anyway. But again, I'm not fighting right now, so I don't know how they feel, but that's how I feel. Uh, all right, so we'll get into the – you have a few minutes. You you grab everything you can grab, including the body. You go to a different chopper than bin Laden's corpse, mm. right? You land where? They Well, they picked us up right outside the compound, and then we turned and started flying towards um, – this is actually a pretty p- cool part of the story because we get in the helicopter. We're flying 90 minutes to Afghanistan. Again, on a, on a mission, we're supposed to die, but we realize if we make it – and we start the stopwatches, 90 minutes, and we live. Right. And, like, we're counting that stuff. Mm-hmm. And we're getting to 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and everyone's kind of looking around, but no one's talking because you don't want to jinx the no-hitter in the top of the sixth. <laughs> right. I'm not saying anything, but it's been 40 minutes, 50 minutes, 60 minutes. And then we got to um, – you know, just it's getting surreal. We get to 85 minutes, and then all of a sudden the pilot comes over the radio and says, all right, gentlemen, for the first time in your careers, you're going to be happy to hear this. Welcome to Afghanistan. <laughs> And right. that's when it sinks in. It's like, holy crap, we did this. And then we landed. We got out. The other helicopter came in. We pulled the body out. The admiral was there. We showed it to him. Uh, the female analyst was there. Um, and we, we kind of talked about stuff. And I don't want to ruin the book because I'm not allowed to say the language. But in the movie Zero Dark Thirty, they showed the female analyst the body. And she got emotional and cried and left. And the movie ended horribly. Worst part of the movie. Huh. What actually happened is in the book. And it's hilarious. And it shows what a tough person she is. Very good story. Again, I tell it now, but I wouldn't do it justice without using the language she used, by the way. It hurt, hurt my ears a little bit, but she used it. <laughs> uh, now it's four in the morning or so. Yeah. Um, so you have to be exhausted. Yeah, we're on pretty high on emotion. Uh, pretty high on I adrenaline. Mean, it's got to be a feeling of wanting to crack yeah. a beer and yeah. just yeah. blow off a little yeah. steam. Yeah, well, we right? flew him up to a different base that we'd kind of. Um, 
we we built up a little bit since nine eleven, so we had a different chalet we can go to with a pizza oven, and they had some adult beverages there, so we were able to partake a little bit before we flew back to Virginia Beach. You know, it wasn't a big keg party, but you, we could sneak stuff into places. We just snuck into Packers down. I'm hoping I could have snuck in a bottle of Jack Daniels. <laughs> was it was it a so now do they need to get you out of the region quickly? Is that a concern? no? It wasn't a concern, but just because we'd gone over so uh, abruptly. They just wanted to get us back. There was no reason for us to be there. There's already another team over there, as far as our team, and they just wanted to get us home. So, we, I mean, because it was not, it wouldn't have been, it was going to be business as usual. We get back and we start training again for our next deployment. So, I mean, they, there was obviously dog and pony shows where we go see the higher ups and different principals, and then the president and vice president, things like that. Um, everybody in that famous picture too came to thank us except Hillary Clinton. That's odd. <laughs> she must have other stuff going on, I guess. I got Benghazi questions as long as you brought that up. <laughs> I want to know about the president, meeting the president, and what that vibe was like. And um, But I'm curious about uh, what you think or know about uh, Benghazi as well. Benghazi, I don't know uh, what you know. I don't know if you knew any of those guys. I don't know uh, – what what your thoughts are on it, but I'm I'm curious if you have any. Well, I didn't know any of the guys there. I know some guys are indirectly involved. I'm familiar with the mission that was going on over there, and and um, the the biggest problem that I have with it is the cover up at the end when they lied to the families and they tried to you know say whatever it was, and it was because of a video, not because of a coordinated attack from Al Qaeda. There's a lot of problems there. One of which was um, not believing in. Bad guys, political correctness have, has a belief because we're a consulate in Libya. The bad guys don't exist here, but there is no um, – there are no borders in the Levant. That's what ISIS – ISIL was standing for, you know, uh, uh, Islamic State in Iraq and, and Levant. Levant spreads through Libya to Tunisia. So short answer is we're fighting al-Qaeda there too. Same guys, same ideology. You got to be careful there. Um, I wish the the – a lot of the agency people that had – Security would have helped more. Unfortunately, there's not a team ready to roll to rescue people in every part of the world. And then you got to consider some of the guys that went to fight who were very, very brave in the fight they got into. I wasn't there. Nothing but respect for those guys. Will to live and just what they did. Um, having paid professionals there, there's international law you need to think about. I don't know if I can send these guys in to fight because, I mean, we got to uphold that kind of stuff. Horrible fight. I think the guys that fought, fought like I said earlier, they just fought for the guys next to them. I've seen 13 hours. I, I know uh, some of the guys now that were there. The fight sounds horrific, and, and just 13 hours of fighting in a place like that where you're surrounded, overrun, like Alamo-type stuff. Um, incredible fight. I just wish the administration would, instead of lying about it, they would have told the truth instead of Susan Rice going to every different Sunday show and just lying. Uh, it was a big problem. Well, my thing is, before the lying, or before we knew the lying was lying, when Hillary Clinton was like, don't worry, we're going to get the guys who made that cartoon. Well, that's part of it. Yeah, it's an issue. I'm like, why do you care about the guy? You, we're not. I don't want to get the guys who made the cartoon. I want to make the guys who murdered these guys. It seemed insane to me, and I know there's a bunch of political correctness and insanity, but you're allowed to make cartoons. You don't have to kill people because someone made a cartoon about your god. The notion that we need to get the guys who made the cartoon Cartoon, and not the guys who did the killing, the slaughtering, means we've jumped the shark politically. That's an insane statement. So of Don't is. worry, we're going to get the guys who made the cartoon. Even though the cart- in America, the land of free speech, like that's an insane comment that right. she made. Even though the guys with the cartoon or the video, whatever it was, have nothing to do with the attack. The fact that you would bring that up in a cover up, even you know, is nonsense because that shouldn't be. Well, I don't care about the cartoon. It's 
it's fr- free speech. To, yeah, exactly. I see what you're saying. That was an insane comment it, to make, mm-hmm. and I think she denies an, she an, insa- it, an insane comment from a from a perfectly sane person, though. I guess <laughs> she stopped. She denied she ever made the comment. I yeah, guess, uh-huh. but I guess there was. Some that reminds me of. A, I, heard, I heard a really good joke. What what costs millions but's worthless? Second place in a presidential election. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> so the, the the there was a I I you know it's it's kind of weird because I'm assuming there was a, a cover up or sort of an attempt at a cover up. I'm still not sure why there needed to be a cover up, but I guess the the reason why why do you think there needed to be a cover up? I think a lot of things. I, I, I'm assuming the initial thing was they didn't want to admit what they were doing in the consulate because that's a sort of a spot, I think, where they're running guns into Syria. They're trying to do it out of there. They're putting guns somewhere so it's like a covert thing. Then they don't want to admit that they had Americans in trouble. They did, really did nothing to help them. And then, you know, the admission that, oh, uh, the red line that we told not to cross, the bad guys are spreading everywhere because of our failed policies in places like Libya, in places like Syria, in places like pulling out of Iraq. You just want to pretend like it's. Oh, we just stick our heads back in the sand. Maybe it'll go away. What is the difference between ISIS and Al Qaeda? Well, the difference is simply that ISIS was able to do the first thing that someone from that ideology has done, and that's that they actually established an Islamic state. They actually did it. They had a capital. They have a caliph, uh, Abu Bakr al Baghdadi. Same principles, same uh, Wahhabist version of Sunni Islam that comes out of Saudi Arabia. Uh, they, they uh, all of them too, like Boko Haram in Africa, uh, uh, the Khorasan group. Um, you, there's uh, all, all these different fronts are all based on the same radicalized version of of Sunni Islam. This certain part of Sunni Islam. So there's not, not really a big difference. Uh, even parts of the Taliban, like even they say Taliban and ISIS are in Afghanistan. That's not the case. These. Uh, ISIS guys are Taliban guys now that say they're ISIS. They just pledge allegiance to the caliph. That's all they're doing. So these are they're on the same side, and and uh, that's one group. And then you got the Iranians who are Shia on the other group, and they've been fighting since the split of the split of um, like the split of Islam when it split off. Is is there as someone who's experienced the culture and the people up close? Are you optimistic? Or does it seem in everyone's mu- muscle memory and DNA just to fight? I'm getting. I'm getting more optimistic because what we're going to need is a help from a lot of our Sunni allies, the Sunnis to deal with ISIS. The Sunnis aren't going to help us with Iran. But, well, they would, but they, in a wholly different way, that would be the right way to do it. But because I've, I've, seen, I've seen people in places like Afghanistan that are from United Arab Emirates that are Sunni Muslims, but they yell at the Taliban. They're like, look, you can have Dubai and Islam. You don't need to do this crazy, archaic, 10, 10, you know, 1,400-year-old nonsense. You, you don't need to do it this way. So, But we need help from those moderates, the people that can say we can have our religion, we can have our countries, but we can also have Western society be part of it. That's what we need. We need to get the uh, the clerics that are preaching the hate off the pulpit. We can't have uh, – one of the things that I always say is that the, a lot of the problems right now is that, we're, that they're stealing the innocence of children because they're teaching them to hate right off the bat. They have this thing you'll notice online if you can stomach it. They have a thing called the Cubs of the Caliphate where they're raising kids to be executioners. And if you're a five-year-old kid cutting a live man's head off with a dull knife, you're not going to be normal in 10 years. So you, you need to get rid of the hate preach that's out there. And that, that's what they're doing because they, they really believe in this version and it's a way to get to heaven that if we do this for the, you know, because they're trying to take over the world, we do this for the prophet and for Allah, we're going to heaven eventually. Is this worse than the cat calling that took place with this young lady <laughs> walking through Manhattan? This was a 10-hour period. Now, I know cutting a guy's head off with a dull knife at five is bad. But what about Cecil the Lion? I mean, don't answer too quickly. 
It's, it's just, I mean, even the, this is why I laugh about our problems. This is when they well, I mean, laugh the, the, about the, the, whatever. It can, it can be solved just with common sense. Like I, I went to war a lot. And we're not going to win this by bombing people. We're going to need a lot of it because these these military aged uh, radicalized fighters that are you know twenty to thirty or whatever age they are that, that have been they're not going to be. We can't bring them back. We're going to need to kill them or lock them up. But it's the kids we can save, and it's the, we're going to need help from the clerics. Yes. I, I'm curious. I heard on a on a show one time there. I believe it was Denmark. They tried this program. I don't I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. But young people who were radicalized, I believe from from Denmark, uh, not originally, uh, but that came back. Um, instead of locking them up or interrogating them, they sort of. I don't want to use the word embrace them, but but try to sort of de-radicalize them through having tea and having cookies and having these. I, I don't know if 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 you have any thoughts on. I have, I mean, some thoughts that on that too. I've, I've had, I've, you know, people that really want to martyr themselves for the cause to go to Allah are not going to have their belief changed by tea and cookies. And I've had interrogators tell me that having talked to like tier one Al Qaeda targets, the de-radicalization thing, I don't know. I mean, they could be so good at that they're, they're going to lie to you. Who, I mean, you, you got to find who's preaching what and where, and it's got, you know, it's got to be from, it's got to be from inside the mosque. We got, and we're going to need help for that. I, I mean, if they can, I'd love it. And who knows? Maybe we take a bunch of them to Vegas. We're good to go. Hmm. Maybe the white, the white devil or whatever they call us, the great Satan's not that bad. Oh, great Satan. I've always. That'd be a good band name. Yeah, great, right, in it? <laughs> and just great white, and then we just put Satan in yep. there. Yeah. Great Satan. <laughs> so I, this is the same thing. I, I See, I think we get into trouble when we start with this precept, which is everybody loves their family. Everyone wants to get along. Everyone wants to see their 85th birthday. Nobody wants this. So there must be a reason why. People are doing stuff, and I, I've always said we are so narcissistic that we go, we must have gotten them to do something. Like, there's, there's a reason why they hate us. What are we doing? I don't know. Well, that's a problem. That's what we're saying, but what a lot of that, they're saying that we need to coerce them to be just like us, and if not, we, we kill them, or we make them pay a tax. Um, but see, I mean, we are the same way because it's like, well, we'll just go over there and we'll, we'll just enforce democracy. It's like, you right. can't do that. It has to come from within. Like, we, we've proven that before. Yeah, and also, I think it, you know, you can go bomb Germany, you can bomb Japan, you can bomb Italy, and then you can put up a little puppet regime, get them back up on their feet, have a little military force, let them start selling some cars, and, and clear out. But that's a different culture. It's way different culture. And, and, and you need to be over there to understand it. You need to see it up close to understand it. A lot of people, um, you know, we, we, we're losing the war in Afghanistan because we got politicians and, and lawyers involved. You know, and that's not the way it works. And even right now when they're trying to raise it, oh, look, the, our well-trained Iraqi army just took Mosul from ISIS. No, they didn't. The Iranians did. So there's – so that's so that's awesome. What – why why is it that we never – or maybe I – mean, I'm incorrect, so you help me. We our, our plan is like train the locals, but we never seem to really coach them up the way – they need to be coached up, and somehow they don't look right in their uniforms. They're not. They, they never look good you, in their uniform. No, they can't. You ever seen the one of the Marines trying to teach the Iraqis how to do jumping jacks? I thought it was a joke well, what, until I went there. Why wouldn't we be able to take just young, able-bodied, eighteen-year-old guys, give them the right training, the right equipment, and go? Now you do no, the because, job. Because I mean, that's part of their culture. Everything they do is called inshallah, God willing, um, and that works. Opposite ways on, on our end, it's like, you know, hey, we'll be here tomorrow for a workout at 7 a.m. Well, inshallah, they might show up, they might not. We might train, they might not, but they do sometimes because they get paid. On the other side, God wants them to destroy the infidel, so that's why they fight so hard. That's why they blow themselves up. So it's a, it's a cultural thing based on their religion, and when religion's all you know, uh, it might be a bad – I mean, you might want to throw in like a trigonometry course every now and then or you know, something. God, it's just it, – it's, 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 it's fascinating, but it's scary. 
it's fascinating, but it feels so unfixable because it's going to take a lot of work permeated everywhere and then it's also i i I feel the same way about certain districts and politicians and stuff like where you just go when is enough going to be enough where you just vote someone else in like you start going a different path like how many years Uh of how many years you're going to vote in maxine waters before you just go hey poor people this just ain't cutting it like where schools suck or everything sucks everything's in poverty like why Four more years or why another term? Like, w- at what point do you just go, I don't think the system is is benefiting us. Like, I, I, don't, I don't feel I'm, I, I don't feel like uh, there's a bunch of dirt on the floor. There's a scorpion up my ass. Like, I, 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 I'm eating with my hands. Our schools suck. Like, at what point do you just go, let's uh, – how, how are those Mormons doing? They seem to be doing pretty good over there. <laughs> they got some ideas we can incorporate. I'm just saying, like, it's so weird that you think, like – doesn't there have to be some sort of saturation point for people? Like, I do feel that way it's with politics be, all the time. Where you go, yeah, how long is this not going to work before you go, maybe we'll go another direction? And they just keep going with the same people until they it's die. It's got to be the herd mentality. That's all it is. You know, we're going to, you know, we've always done this, so I'm going to keep doing it. My grandfather voted this way. And, and that, I mean, that's got to be the I get same it if, if you're being herded over some fertile pastures with lots of food yeah, and clean water. Point. So you're just being herded into an ashtray. After years and years of years of just being herded into an ashtray and the herder goes this way, at what point do you just break off and kind of go, It's mm. a good question. You would think it would happen. It, it's, it's weird. It's weird that the way civilizations, cultures, and humans are, I feel like this country, which is probably less broken than a- almost any other nation in terms of how we treat people, our system, you know, just the, the government, the murder rate, just whatever it is, whatever yardstick you use to measure a culture, we're probably less broken than many, many, many other cultures who treat their women or gays or or whatever yardstick you use to, to measure this. We are constantly self-scrutinizing. We're constantly going, why aren't we changing? We should be changing more. We're not changing fast enough. It needs to happen more. Like we're, we're under a magnifying glass that we put over our own anthill and decided we need to change. We need to change early. We need to change often. And we don't need that much changing, but we never stop talking about hope and change or change or we need to modify or we need to pro- progress or we need to move forward. And then there's these cultures that have been flatlining for a million years that need nothing but change, and it's it's never discussed. So it's a weird thing, and it's also kind of a luxury. Like, I feel like yeah. we do this because the water's clean, and we're safe, and we have plenty of food, and we're soft, and we do just focus on us changing. And I'm not just saying us. Like, Australia does a lot of it. Like, they're putting themselves under their own magnifying glass, but... How much change does Australia really need to do? And isn't it just a weird, out-of-problems, first-world imposing of this? This is way too <laughs> – this is way above any of our pay grades. But I'm now just thinking that, in a weird way, we probably talk more about changing than many cultures that actually need to change a ton, and we need to change 4%. <laughs> God bless America. Gina. Um, I'm curious, and I, if you're comfortable talking about it, you've done this for so many years. You've been on so many missions. And I'm wondering if you've experienced or what your experience has been with PTSD, with people that you know um, dealing with that when they come home. Uh, American Sniper was so powerful when it came to that. And I I think about this a lot. And I, I don't feel like we do enough uh, to transition people 
back into society in in a way that really helps them. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, that's true that we don't necessarily help transition too much. And that's simply because the military doesn't really have an interest in that because they're not going to come back to benefit them. Um, As far as um, with PT, I I don't consider it a disorder. I consider it just post-traumatic stress for sure. And a lot lot of guys get it. I've been very fortunate. Believe it or not, I've never seen a friend get hurt in front of me. Uh, Never had a friend get hurt on combat. I've had friends that have died. Uh, that I'm very close with, but not not when I was there with them. Um, so I, you know, I've never seen a child get hurt. So I've been lucky, but I have friends that have and and have seen friends die right in front of them in you know horrible ways. So they do have it, and we we talk about it too. But part of the issue with with uh, PTS is that it's it, they they it, it's overdiagnosed. They want you to have it. Uh, so everyone that's been to combat, they want. You, oh no, no, you definitely have it. You just denial. And the problem there is the people that actually have it don't get the treatment they need because they're trying to treat everyone, even people. Flooding. And, and a lot of it, believe it or not, too. And a lot of vets won't tell you this is because if you have PTSD or whatever they call it, you can get benefits. So even people that haven't seen combat, they can claim it and get get money. And they and they do. So it's it's another problem with the entitlement society. Like there, you should have enough honor to say, "Look, I'm fine." Like I do. I don't. I don't. I don't have PTS. I don't, and I'm not getting any benefits for it. Um, but uh, a lot of people don't do it that way. And so the like even with us, there are Marines out there now in 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 Kandahar Province walking through minefields. They have a job that's much more dangerous than anything I ever did because we could fight on our terms. They can't. So the the young Marine, 20 years old, that wasn't trained to our level, sees three of his friends blown to hell. He's going to have an issue. He's the guy that needs the treatment. It's not the person back at the base. God bless them. Thanks for their service, but never left green bean coffee. They don't need it. Um, so it's, you know, it's definitely a real thing. And I'm, I'm happy that, you know, we've come from a way, like in World War II, you know, you're fighting in, at Bastogne, in Battle of the Bulge. And then on Monday, you're working in the factory again because you should just do it. Right. We've come a long way, but right now we're almost too sensitive about it. We got to find the people that really haven't helped them. But a lot of us, like myself included, we don't need it. Interesting. Well, so there's a couple things. You have a, You've incentivized people to have it because you're going to get paid. Mm-hmm. And then good luck any politician that says, come on, she was in the rear with the gear. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have That's nothing. That's a good point. Very good point. You're gonna, never never going to happen. You can't take a stand. You can't tell someone they don't have it mm-hmm. if they if they say they have it. So between them getting paid to have it and you not being able to really vet it, because if you say you have it, you have it. There's nothing we can do. It's going to be a lot of people with it. I like the idea that you drop the D with the yeah. disorder part yeah. because – uh, the, I, I, I always worry, and I talk to Dr. Drew about this all the time, like when they tell kids that they're hyper something or they have a reading disorder or an eating disorder, like just Attention telling someone you have, a, you have a disorder, you uh-huh. know what I mean? Like, could have some ADD and a dusting of Asperger's, and it's like, leave them alone. Like, everyone's different. Does everyone have to have this... This this rubber stamp of I'm defective, I have a disorder, I'm going to carry this around for the rest of my life could – and I agree, you don't want to deny it. Right. But if somebody has been with where they've been and seen what they've seen, then they're going to be changed by that. But does that mean that they carry this around for the rest, the rest of their life? And I, I like the idea of not – putting this sort of label on it that says you're this way for the rest of that's your life. A, that's a, a lot of the VAs want to do that. They want to get you in there, convince you you're nuts, put you on some pills, and send you out. You know, it's not, it's not the way to do it. I mean, <clears throat> if you want to treat veterans, there's, there's places out there. You get them together. There's a, a friend of mine, Eric Grinds, who's now the governor of Missouri, started a foundation. Uh, the mission continues where he would get vets together and they would build houses. And that's just a lot of them weren't carpenters, but you're just out there doing something, a product. And that's what gets people out of their you know, out of their room. 
so that you know that's really good stuff there and then and then uh, like the, the 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 other thing is a lot of vets don't know what to do as far as work what am i going to do we've been at war for so long people don't like i got out at 17 years i didn't get a pension i, I didn't i knew it was 20 but i'm not going to do 20 i'm good we did these missions i'm just going to get out but i didn't know what i was going to do you know I, w- I was fortunate to have some skills that the military taught me the seal teams helped me to uh fine tune and I've met people that hired me. You know, I actually started a foundation called Your Grateful Nation that helps veterans do that. We, because they'll say, you know, they'd rather go to combat than fill out a resume because combat makes sense. But once they realize they've learned how to solve problems, manage stress, work as a team, show up to work, loyalty, we'll find a company for them and they will mentor that veteran for nine months. All of a sudden, they have a job. Wow. Well, I, I do have an idea about a, about a possible uh, transition thing, but you tell me if it's too marshmallow for you because mm-hmm. I, I really I, I've been thinking about this for a while. If you've if you're a combat veteran and you're coming home for whatever two weeks, four weeks, there's like some really 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 nice high end spa where you're getting just a place to decompress with talk therapy, with individual therapy, with chilling out, hardcore, They've, like, appreciation. I think they do stuff like that now, too. I'm not sure if it's it's required, but I'm stu- there's stuff out there. And I, I think a lot of, I think it would actually help a lot of, a lot of people. Thanks. I'm glad. Yeah. Let's talk more about that. I'll do, I mean, I can be the test case. If, I'll sung <laughs> yeah. it right now. <laughs> but a, like a, a really expensive high-end yeah, spot that's they, been we converted. Got a problem. We got Uh-oh. a problem. No. Well, because a lot of they're not all in Afghanistan. Some go to like the Philippines. Okay. And are, those guys are different. They have a different idea of a spa experience. Oh. You know what I'm right. saying? Sure. Well, we'll, and so those guys are going to actually we will make concessions for that PTSD Understood. if they don't get a happy ending. Understood. You know what I mean? Like that could send them further into sure. a spiral. Stress. It's, well, again, they're used to this operation in a theater. I think right. what you get there is PTSD. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. Doing what I can over here. Wow, man. What a what a tale has been woven here today. I am so impressed, Robert. Thank you. And um should have played blah 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 with him. Yeah. <laughs> I love uh I love I love the stories. You come back and we'll ask you we'll get all into Captain Phillips on that one and uh then uh uh rescuing Mark Wahlberg and everything. The operator firing the shots that killed Osama bin Laden. And my years as a SEAL Team Warrior. Available now on Amazon. Robert O'Neill is the name. Robert, man, this has been great. Yeah, I've had a good time. Thanks. I appreciate you come, having me come out. This is uh, awesome. It's been, uh, been all my pleasure. You can go to amcrolla.com, uh, live shows. I'm doing stand-up in Chicago and Minneapolis and uh, Nashville and all over the country. Just go to amcrolla.com. we got the Mangria and we got our cruise and we got swag and we got buck slips and all that. So check that out. And until next time, it's Adam Crow for Robert O'Neill, Gina Grand, Mal Ryan saying mahalo. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Follow the Adam Carolla Show on Twitter at Adam Carolla Show. Follow Ace on Twitter at Adam Carolla. The Ace Man, September 23rd, Chicago Park West. Music Hall in Minneapolis, October 13th. Nashville's JK, James K. Polk Theater on October 14th. And come out to the Carolla Drinks Comedy and Music Show in Santa Barbara at Soho Restaurant and Music Club on August 22nd. Tickets and info at CarollaDrinks.com. For tickets to everything Adam Carolla, including the Carolla Cruise this November, visit AdamCarolla.com. Adam Carolla.